Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good afternoon, everybody. It's Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Hope everyone's having a great day. The first week of 2020 has finished, and we are moving forward. And as we move forward, we welcome our guest, Mr. George Lynch, onto the Hook Rocks. How are you doing today, George? Hi, Jay. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank I'm you. I'm doing well. I'm uh, uh, just. Uh, I'm. I'm. Uh, as I mentioned earlier i'm uh i'm doing this interview out of my car so it sounds a little hear a little road noise or anything i apologize no worries man just glad to have you thanks again for doing this i appreciate it so we start off every episode with a new guest with the same question and that is the essence of the show just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in every rock fan has a moment whether it's a song, a band, an album, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What hooked you, George? Uh, the first big concert I saw uh, was Jimi Hendrix at the Forum. And, you know, I still play, I play guitar previous to that and all that, but that really was a sea change paradigm shift in my you know, in, in the idea that this is how profound this is and how, how majestic it was. And, and uh, it, it, I think it just changed, you know, the molecular makeup of who I was as, as a person that inspired me, set a trajectory for the rest of my life. Now, you mentioned Jimi Hendrix <laughs> as inspiring you. You were playing guitar, you know, previous to that. You know, there's the evolution of the artist, right? There's the evolution from the beginning. You know, you want to pick up guitar, you want to play guitar, you see Jimi Hendrix, who inspires you to keep moving forward. Where did it go from there? Was there another artist that inspired you to write music? Uh, you know, it sounds like Jimmy also inspired you to want to perform and be on stage, but was there a song that connected with you that said, hey, you know, I want to be able to do this too. I want to write music as well. 
Well, there's hundreds of songs. I mean, that, that's not a there's not a, a standout featured standalone moment. Uh, songwriting inspiration that uh, I can uh, point to. There wasn't any one thing. It, it was really an incremental process over decades, and it continues to be. Uh, starting with uh, you know a lot of R and and soul blues music I listened to. Uh, when I first started playing guitar at 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, and then the first rock and roll thing I heard, Beatles, you know, arguably, and that, that sort of developed me. And that was profoundly inspiration, of course. And then, then Zeppelin, Hendrix, Creed, uh, and Jeff Beck, you know, came around at the same time. Those were all also equally inspiring and uh, so, yeah, I, I, I can't point to any one thing. That would be impossible. It wasn't like a, uh, uh, like a wake-up, aha, uh-huh, song. Now, as far as the guitar, you mentioned prior to seeing Hendrix, you were playing guitar pri- you know, previous to that, prior to that. Was there a blues player, an R&B player, who inspired you to want to pick up guitar? Well, you know, I was actually more inspired by horn players and vocalists. Um, you know, uh, one of the first records I bought were Chris uh, Franklin and James Brown and uh, a Charlie Parker record. Uh, so I was I would play a lot uh, when I was first. Well, you know, in my formative years, I would play along to four players singer and try to emulate what they were doing. So I didn't really, guitar was not my first inspiration. So it was like Charlie Parker, James Brown, it was that R&B, blues type flavor, you know, that you really kind of inspired you to want to pick up an instrument? Well, I had already picked up an instrument, but it inspired me as to what I could do. And, and it, it just resonated with me. That's what, uh, what uh, really got my fires burning as far as what I was passionate about. You know, as far as what music, the, the power that music we have, the potential of what they were doing. Uh, it's just, you know, reach down into your bone marrow and your psyche. It's so just beautiful. And, you know, it, it, it also said everything about the angst of human existence. It's interesting because um, you've talked a lot about evolving as an artist. You know, I think back of the interview you did with Chris Broderick from Megadeth about five years ago. And in that interview, you mentioned how you're constantly 
pushing yourself to evolve. And I'd like to think that that's the inspiration for a lot of these projects that you do is because you, you, you find an artist that you like and you want to work with them and it expands your evolution as an artist. You know, you mentioned how sometimes fans are conservative and they want to, they want to keep people like yourself or a band they love in their nice little neat box and only play what they love and the sounds that they love where, you know, if someone asks you to write a docking song that you know was written 30 years ago, you're unable to do it because you've evolved as a person, you're evolved as a player and you're constantly pushing yourself to keep going, which is admirable because not a lot of people, you know, like yourself, do that. And whenever I am a fan of an artist, that's one of the big things for me. I may not like everything they do, but I appreciate them wanting to evolve and have the motivation to create something that is unexpected. It's a complicated subject, you know, you can think about it a lot and drill down and try to, you know, tear the argument down to its most basic component. But it doesn't really matter in the end because it's all about being honest, I think. You know, to yourself and understanding what it is you're doing. And I think it's easy to make the mistake that the artist is doing, but really not. But really, the best thing we can do it's just get out of our own way. And I've learned that try to some years. Um, meaning that there's something there that wants to flow through me if I allow it. Plus, I constrict it by inflating myself or thinking that I'm doing something, you know, or I can do it better. It's there already. I just have to allow it to work its way through me. Uh, I'm an active participant, but I'm not the source. At least I don't think so. So, uh, you know, I think I'm there to just serve some kind of creative flow, universal creative flow, without sounding too, you know, new agey or anything like that. But I just don't have the right words for it. I know that it has served me to just get out of my own way and let the magic happen. You know, that's all I can say. And I have a responsibility to the creative flow to make sure that I'm you know, uh, that I practice and I have the ability to be instrumental in conveying ideas. You know, it is a responsibility. Um, so there's that, you know, and, and to think, you know, and be smart and arrange things properly and, and try to think outside the box. Those sorts of things. Uh, but I don't like to give myself too much credit for anything, but I also don't want to take too much blame for going in a direction that might somebody might not agree with. Because I do, again, feel I have a responsibility to serve the creative impulse, whatever that is. And I don't think that's self-indulgent. I, I look at it as a responsibility. And, you know, I, I would say that to be, if I were to be more conservative or any artist would be more conservative and just play to their base and do the, you know, the least difficult thing, and just continue to repeat yourself and do a formula that's proven successful financially, that's the easier way to go. But I find that that would, that would be disingenuous to do. And I don't want to sound like a poetry artist or anything. I'm just saying that I really do feel that impulse that there's two voices on each shoulder whispering to each ear. You know, go down the easy path, 
still for super challenging things, and I can still super challenging. And I have to pay a price for that sometimes, both critically and even you know, more business or record companies just want to they want that over and over again or make a decision over and over again. But it depends on that. And that's why this band, I think we discussed this before, bands like ACDC or you know, many other bands that have a particular sound and style and formula. And it would be through suicide for them to change that. And I don't even think they'd be capable of changing or shipping. But I've been quote unquote blessed with the lack of uh, career success, for lack of a better term, where I'm not physical into a box. So I have the freedom, flexibility to move laterally, turn to use the ball into other areas to play with my music. You know, and to me, it is an enjoyable, uh, satisfying, fun thing to be able to play with any different people with any different styles of genre I can push myself to experiment. And the other thing I'd like to say is that uh, I don't look at as this whole uh, body of uh, players in this process as being independent of each other. To me, the listener than create, you know, or, you know, I have a vessel, music comes to me, and unless you're responding to it, doesn't it exist. So it's like a tree fell in the forest, a big sound question. It's like, a, it's almost like a, a Zen coin. So I, I really feel, and I feel this in, in alone, that unless, you know, the responder is, is, is uh, 50% of the equation. So, um, and not, not a less important well, yeah, I mean, I I agree completely. As a fan, though, of yours, George, I I I just love when a new project comes out, whether it's with you know Lynch Mob, your your main band, or the other projects, whether it's KXM or Sweden Lynch or Ultraphonics or this new project you have, Dirty Shirley, which I think is absolutely phenomenal. Because, uh, you know, the more projects you do, the happier a person like myself is because it's more George Lynch music. And what I like about it is, is when you do these projects, I never know what to expect. That really puts a charge in me because it, it keeps me interested. It, I want to know what you're going to do next, and I want to know how you're going to push yourself and create different things and different sounds. So... Yes, you know, it's a two-way street between the fan and the artist. But as a fan, I can just say that I appreciate a lot of what you do. When you're that particular type of, of person, appreciate a fan, I like the word fan. Uh, uh, you know, and we're all wired different. And I see it's just in a very sloppy general way, we can all be wired in two categories. One is the traditionalist, you know, the conservative listeners, and the, 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 uh, the listeners such as yourself, they're more open to change. And um, either one is right or wrong. Dude, the way we're built. And I get it, because when I was younger, and I was living, let's say, as an example, with the first Zeppelin, and of course it was a, you know, a monumental paradigm shift in, in my musical experience and had a profound effect on me, and I wore that thing out, and then the second record came along, and it was still, you know, the hard rock, bluesy, British thing, it was still in the same boat, you know, as far as the style, stylistically, they weren't getting crazy adventures or anything. And, and then, then they started to lose me on the third and fourth record, and I lost interest. 
Now, of course, many decades later, you know, I realized how profound everything was in was. It was business, but it, it was me that was having the problem. <laughs> was the problem. I'm not, now, I don't want anybody to think I'm equating myself with Led Zeppelin and, 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 and you know, or anything like that. I'm, not, it, I'm, I'm just saying, it, it, you know, you cannot deny the impulse of what an artist, what inspired an artist to create their first work when they go on to continue. That, that inspiration continues to, as you say, evolve. Some people are open to that and welcome that. And some people don't. Just the reality. I mean, I remember going to see David Bowie the years, and uh, he did a tour where he he uh, did not play any of the little songs. You realize how many unhappy people were in that audience? <laughs> I mean, it was very frustrating, so I get it. And all of us legacy artists have experience. Uh, we, all, we discuss it frequently, is, is, you know, the frustration in uh, in going out and trying to present new music to the fans in a live context. Very, very frustrating. There's nobody to speak here. Yeah, it's a constant challenge, but, you know, I feel very fortunate to be able to have a career in music, you know, so certainly there are aspects that are not hurt for me and challenges are challenging. Yeah, I read a interesting interview with the producer and has you know singer songwriter as well, Butch Walker, a couple years ago. One of the comments on his social media at the time was, "How come you don't play your hits?" And his response was, "What hits? I don't have any hits. So if people come to see me, I can play what I want to play because you're here to see me." And whether it's something off my new album or something off four albums ago, this is what I'm into with my own music right now. And, you know, this is what I want to play. So it's an interesting take from a guy who produces a lot of big records, who has his own singer-songwriter stuff and does these tours at these small clubs to have that kind of mentality that, you know, I don't really have a big hit, so I don't know what you expect me to play. So I'm just going to, you know, play 10 to 15 songs that I want to play that night from my body of work, and hopefully you'll enjoy it. You know, that would be great. I mean, you're not going to be playing the Norma Dome, I guess. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, and making billions of dollars. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, I mean, I looked at some of my heroes uh, decades past, or, or uh, Mike Pat, for instance, or Daniel Lambert, and and they do what they want. And it's so powerful, and so beautiful, and so profound. And it's just these massive, iconic forces of nature, you know. And but they don't fit in any box, so it's, it's, it's you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. They, they don't have the uh, the kind of uh, tactile, uh, you know, financial return that, let's say, you know, a pop artist will have. Uh, or something, you know, and so they're not playing the game, and that's that's sad to me, you know. I, I think it's uh, uh, very telling, but also, you know, they are the true artists that we aspire to, and they don't get recognized. I think they'd be universally adored and held up. <laughs> they'd be winning every award and every accolade and being put on a pedestal, but. Building statues, and yeah, that, that that is interesting, you know. And, and to go back to kind of what you said, you know, something moments ago too about, you know, you know, Led Zeppelin three and four 
not resonating with you. What, what people sometimes don't realize is that your enjoyment for any type of art, you know, and, 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 you know, with this conversation, it's music is it's all about timing because as a person, you're constantly evolving, you're constantly changing, you're experiencing new things, you're doing different things, enjoying different things that you didn't maybe 10 years ago, five years ago, whatever. So sometimes when you listen to music, what didn't resonate with you five years ago, 10 years ago, whenever you put that in because of all the life changes and the experiences, it completely sounds different to you. At that moment, you're able to enjoy it, which is really interesting. I mean, I'm discovering new music like we all are all the time. Stuff that I would dismiss in the past, I've come to appreciate because I've come around. I just wasn't open to it because I just wasn't aware enough or being able to appreciate it because I was closed-minded. And, uh, you know, a band like uh, ELO or 10CC just to pick something off the top of my head that's random. And it, I was like, I mean, it just, the massive artists, Elton John, you know, uh, who, when, you know, when I was growing up, I was like, ah, you know, yeah, whatever, you know, little sing-songy, wasn't wasn't hard rock. It wasn't heavy. It was you know what I mean. So I sort of dismissed it, and now I understand just how you know life affirming it was, and what a monumental, gigantic, massive artist it is. Um, and you know, God, you know, yeah, maybe I've written six hundred songs, but I could I write one song like that? You know, Elton John, Bernie Taupin, Chemistry, uh, Jaggers, Richards. Chemistry, Lennon, Cartney chemistry, yeah. Just write one song. Less is more. Yeah. And um, I wonder, does anything, does anything you've done even matter? Yeah, in small incremental ways, I'm sure. You know, by degrees, I guess everything matters. But, um, you know, so I'm learning, I guess, at the point. You know, I'm going back listening and still learning. <laughs> you know, I'm uh, uh, you know, I'm a slow learner, and it's just the trajectory of my compositional career has been, uh, you know, just a slow trajectory from, you know, the garage days of writing, you know, 20 minute, you know, uh, prog jams <laughs> <laughs> with no reoccurring parts, with tempo changes, with, you know, songs that were almost impossible to remember to, um, you know, writing commercially accessible, you know, rock music, uh, it's kind of dumbed down, it's almost superficial, everything in between, you know, and I'm still trying to figure it out. It probably always will be. I have some hits and misses, and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you just realize it's just about that search, just about finding anything. If you found something, it'd be kind of sad, then it'd be over. Well, here we are in, in 2020. You have the new project, Dirty Shirley, coming out in a couple weeks. First songs that have been released have been Dirty Blues, I Disappear, Here Comes the King, features the singer Dino Jalusic from Trans-Siberian Orchestra. How did this project come about? Uh, that was approached by a record company in Europe um, to pair up with Dino and write the music, uh, absolutely start uh, this project, which is uh, then yet unnamed. Uh, I 
was not familiar with Dino, had actually never even heard his voice when I started writing. Pleasantly, obviously surprised when I did hear his voice. Uh, I like to say that, you know, Ronnie Dio and David Coverdale had a baby, which of course would never happen. They would call it Dino because that's what he sounds like to me. It was young Ronnie and, and David Coverdale. Um, and uh, it's funny because initially, I for some reason thought he, Dino was an Italian pop artist. I don't know why I thought that. I, I don't know where I got that impression, but that's what was stuck in my head. And that's what I started writing for. Um, which I thought would be interesting, you know, an interesting challenge. I thought maybe it was just a, a kind of a, an Italy-only record. With, uh, it's like worked for an Italian artist before, and they just released records in that country singing Italian and I thought maybe that's what that was I wrapped around that I started writing with that in mind and I was feeding Dino this material and he was, I think was sort of wondering where I was coming from <laughs> and then I heard what he you know what he sang like and I went oh shit okay back to the drawing board so uh, but yeah he's in my get goosebumps when I listen to him he's very exciting to listen to very energizing uh, you know it's it's almost inhuman to me what he's capable of I, I just can't believe how just what, what uh, you know what the voice is capable of doing because I'm, I'm a frustrated singer I can't sing I can't sing my way out of a shower but in my head I'm the world's greatest singer <laughs> and I hear it I just can't you know when I open my mouth it doesn't come out so I sort of work vicariously through singers that I work with. That's why I, I, I am so focused on the singers that I work with. It's Dino or Oni or London or, you know, Don or this person or that person, you know, Robert Mason. I mean, you know, they're vocalizing what I'm internally feeling and hearing when I write this stuff. I'm writing everything for the singer. They're not vehicles for guitar solos, you know. <laughs> Because the, the vocal is what matters. That's what we, humans connect with. So, well, the, you know, the music that you have released so far from the album has been tremendous. It really is. Uh, it sounds great. The songs are great. Uh, of course, there's you know Will Hunt on drums, Trevor Rocks on bass, <laughs> finishes off the band, Dirty Shirley. What's next for George after this? Uh, I'm. Uh... At the moment, I'm working on two records. Uh, one is a, a Lynch Mob record with uh, a new band. Uh, well, it's actually a new old band. It's, 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 it's an older version of Lynch Mob. It's Brian Titchy on drums. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, the record is uh, uh, Joe Retta, uh, which is, who's also in Trans-Siberian Orchestra with Dino. So, and, 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 and it's just sort of a, um, kind of an accident that that happened. But, uh, Joe is working on the record with me. Um, uh, Tony Franklin is on bass and then live, we're going out next year with, uh, Dawkin and doing some shows and Lynch Mob and Dawkin and, uh, Oni Logan is back in the band, uh, for the live shows next year. And then I've got another project that is a more of a, private project, uh, kind of an independent thing that's um, a little kind of under the radar, but um, uh, it's really something I'm not, you know, it's not being made public yet, but it's very interesting and will 
you know, we're kind of right in the middle of it, so I'm not sure where it's going, but uh, it's a project called GenRev and features some well-known players on it. Very interesting, but can't really say a whole lot about it. Well, like I said, you know, anytime George Lynch releases new music, I'm ecstatic because it's more stuff to listen to and more stuff to dive into. I mean, you've given us a lot of music over the last decade and more, you know, and I'm always appreciative of it. And, you know, whether it's, like I said, all you, know, you know what I'm going to do, I, you know, when I write these records, I'm always, every day I'm, I'm coming up with ideas. Like I'll be in the car, like we're in the car, I'm in the car right now and I'll, I'll come up, I'll hear something in my head and I'll, I'll sing it into my phone. Most musicians do this. We have a little, you know, memo app on your phone or whatever, voice app and, and, uh, voice recorder. And then, uh, you know, if I'm home, I come up with a guitar part or my acoustic guitar, you know, I catalog all these ideas. I have hundreds and hundreds of ideas. So when it comes time to write a record, I have a reference point. If I, oh, let me check that out. Oh, this isn't, sp- I'll work off this and see what I can. Um, but I was thinking the other day, like, and this was of course, tongue in cheek and a joke, but, I could release that as a record. Like all of your ideas? Well, but it's funny because what a lot of it is, is just me singing. And I, as I told you, I can't sing. I have a horrible voice. So, so I sing like, you know, sound like a strangling, you're strangling cats or something, you know? So, so me singing like in my strained, horrible voice. And then I'll, and it, it, I mean, this is this is what I'll do. I'll say, okay, I have this beat. Yeah, I do the drums, right? And then I do like the guitar line, but I'll mouth it because I don't have a guitar on me. So I'll do that, right? Okay, then I do the vocal part, right? And I'm not even going to do that because that'd be yeah, embarrassing. Not that that was what I just did wasn't embarrassing. So you put all that together, and that's just, this is me driving along. You hear the road noise, you know. You hear calls coming in, people talking, and you know stuff like that. And I thought it'd be hilarious to just put all that out and just call it, you know, call it magnum opus. But people think, okay, this is my preeminent thing I've been working on all my life. This is this is it. Pièce de Résistance. This is the record. This is it. This is the George Lynch creative pinnacle of my creative endeavors. <laughs> just take my iPhone and dump it onto a thing and send it into the record company and there you go. I don't know. I would buy that. I would you know tot- what? I would totally be interesting. <laughs> I would to- it would totally be interesting because it would see it would be like it would take balls to do that. I mean, I don't know if the record company would, would go for that. Gigantic self releases. Gigantic balls. Yeah. But what it what what it would basically and be you're right, not a lot of overhead though. You know, there's no co- <laughs> there's not a lot of cost involved in, in, in you don't have to mix it. You don't have to, you know. It would be edit. like you don't have to have a musician. It, it, it would you would call it like the infant ideas of the George Lynch sound. So this would be like the beginnings of like how you're creating. Yeah, it's, music. The gen- it's called a Genesis. Yes, the first book of Lynch. In the beginning, <laughs> right? <laughs> and there'd be a hundred tracks, and each of them would be like you know fifteen seconds long, like a punk record. I yeah I know what I want for or, for uh, Christmas, right? Or I could take spend some time and uh, uh, I could actually take the tracks and I could take those little bits that are there and put some some drums or, or you know some programmed drums or something around it, you know, and make them like their actual song. Now would you I don't know. would you use Pro Tools on this stuff? 
Yeah. <laughs> this big, you know, magnum opus, the, 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 the first book of Lynch would be this epic 50-song, one minute and a half each of you just kind of like making noise and like beatboxing. Singing into my phone, right? Very badly. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Uh, quite honestly, though, I, I, I am. I have been thinking the last year or so about doing a really deep, personal guitar-based record. Um, so that's kind of what I'm like. So many records in the last few years. I think. Well, I might want to slow down a little bit with that and just focus on, you know, spending it like say a year on doing that sort of magnum opus effort and really take a lot of time and, and, and care and attention. And, um, the way I was imagined doing it was, um, create and record us each song in a different location, you know, on the planet with different people and just see what happens, you know, like, you know, write something with a group of musicians in the desert at the Integratron or Rancho de Luna, or in the, in the next one, you know, go to the power station or something, or Electric Wayland in New York City, and you know what I mean? Just have it be the kind of this universal, global effort. And and the all, the other thing I thought would be interesting would be to use all kinds of different equipment and document it, because I'm a gearhead, and a lot of my fans are gearheads, and um, I thought that might be really cool, is to, you know, I have access to really interesting, important uh, pieces of gear. Like, uh, I have a friend who owns some, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan's old amps and Hendrix's equipment, you know, things like that, and, and actually utilize these pieces of historically significant uh, instruments and, and amplifiers and effects and so forth, uh, and studios and microphones, you know, all part of the signal path that are, you know, have history. It's meaningful and document that uh, during the process. It would be just as interesting to me as, as the results. You know? Yeah, the results would be interesting because you're allowing the environment to affect what you're going to write and the journey of that song. And then you're going to have the equipment, the historical equipment, to play on it. So you've got the element of, you know, what's the song going to sound like because of the environment we're in, and now what it's going to sound like you know, because, you know, sonically, because of the equipment that we're using, that's that's a great idea. That's all. You, if my opinion means anything, you should do that. Well, right. The challenge is um, to, to do a record where you're basically just responding to the environment that you put yourself in and created, and that that environment is creating the, uh, the you know, the creative inspiration for whatever's going to happen. Um uh, the, the problem with it is very logistically challenging. Would be logistically challenging. Um, it'd be very expensive, and uh, and you know I, I don't know. I mean, you never know. The thing is, it's, it's uh, you never know what you're going to get. So you know, it could fail. I mean, that's the thing. You know, it's it's not like a safe way to record or or compose or you know. It, you could end up coming up with something that's less than, you know, because you, you create a lot of expectation with something like that. You know? And uh, it could fail, but everything can fail. So I guess you have to not worry about that. Just 
Well, you've always been an artist to take risks. So um, I think mm-hmm. that this could benefit you. I mean, that type of mentality that you all, you've always had in recording and, and, and making music, you've always done things. You've always gone down your own path. And I think an album like this would, would just be the culmination of all that. Well, I would have to approach every song as an individual piece of work, independent of everything else, uh, and then tie it all together. That's how it would have to be done. It would be like doing, you know, I'm also, to back up a little bit, also not a fan of of how we've been, artists have been forced into doing, you know, albums with 15 songs on them. (laughs) I mean, when did that happen? You know, and I've been a slave to that as well, and I have a problem with that. So I, you know, I think maybe taking the less was more approach would be healthier on this one if I were to do this record. And, you know, do a nine or ten track album, use nine or ten different locations, and treat each location independently as, as, a, as an independent effort. And so, for instance, if it's okay, I'm going to create something in, you know, uh, I'm going to go to, let's say, Central America work with some people down there. I've got to research. I've got to find the people I'm working with. I've got to get everybody down there. I've got to get accommodations. I've got to find a recording situation. Uh, you know, it's expensive. It's a lot of time. You know, it's it's not a cost-efficient way to do a record. It's a very self-indulgent way to do a record. So uh, I'd have to make sure that I had things lined up for me. So there's some practical concerns. And in projects where I've had these kind of giant ideas in the past, I think one thing was Shadow Nation built. A good example of that. We're originally remarkable in all parts of the world, on all these huge issues. And as practical concerns started to, you know, turn the page and sort of they realized it was the kid. one day you do figure it out you know i mean i i wouldn't you know you know it sounds like a great concept and it sounds like a really interesting concept i mean i don't think that's something like that's ever been done before and you know as 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 you know as time moves on maybe you know maybe it's more attainable than what you think or what i think or what anybody thinks you know you know maybe doing it both for a long period of time 
In other words, not trying to do it in a finite amount of time make it very different. It would be daunting. It'd be like, okay, I've got to, you know, I've got to do this in 10 different locations around the world. And I have to think about that. I've got to think that all happens. Instead of that, just focus on one at a time. But you know what? Simply supposed to all. Branch of a Luna in Joshua Tree. You can see this thing. Historically, wonderful studio, you know, uh, uh, all this desert rock music scene, you know, Caius, Queens uh, of the Stone Age, and Arctic Monkeys, you know, all the wonderful stuff that's been through there. You know, funky little place, but you know, um, Daniel Lambois working there. Um, Three-hour drive to my house, three-hour drive, and after I'm going to put it up there. Do the first song. Get my get my foot in the door. You know, more. Put, put, put India, India, and Tibet, and, and Fiji on the on the back end. You know? Or like <laughs> Ant- or, or like Antarctica, or like Norway, or something right. like that. Yeah, Antarctica, right? You know, like r- record a song, record a song at at uh, Everest. You know, base base camp at Everest. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> Probably because they have oxygen. But uh, you know what? You know what this is reminding me of. This is reminding me of Pet Sounds. Yes. Yes. Brian, Brian yeah. One of the, it's, it's reminding me a little bit more. Actually, it's reminding me a little bit more of Dewey Cox, which is the parody film. Which of is the process of, of yeah. So I think mean, I don't want to take self indulgence to what a ridiculousness, but I genuinely feel that that would be a really admirable thing to try to do if it could be done. It's fascinating. I mean, it's just fascinating to think about. You know, uh, uh, why not? You know, we only live once. And, uh, so it, 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 uh, it can be a worthwhile thing. Because you get to the point where, like, you know, how many records can I do? How many times can I say the same thing? What am I trying to get with this? You know, yeah, there's good rock records, you know, hard rock records, and some diversions, and that's all good. But, but really step. And not in a way that's like, okay, I'm trying to prove something, or I can do everything, or... You know, I'm a jazz musician, or I'm a blues musician, or I'm a rock, you know, not that. But just the experience, you know, would be fascinating. Well, no, I think Your job is to come up with the funding. My, my, my job is to what? Come up with the what? <laughs> come up with the funding, yeah. Oh, yeah, just, yeah. I'll do everything else. Just can't do I'll get, I, I, I will get right on that as soon as we hang up here. So. <laughs> yeah, you, you, yeah, you got my PayPal, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lots of zeros to the left of the decimal. Yes. Key. Yes. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know what GoFundMe would, would think about uh, raising money for that. So we'd have to, we'd have to maybe find another you outlet. You know what? That's a great idea because that's a hundred thousand dollar project. That's not making any money. That's just, you know, I love seeing it done. Uh, that is, a, that's actually, we're, we're actually brainstorming right here on the air. Well, that's you know that's what I'm here for, George. Uh, you're, you're you're the idea guy, and I'm just pushing back. I'm just I'm just flowing ideas back to you. 
You could do you could do the GoFundMe. You could do like um, you know you could release you know s- different singles before it. You know to to and you know any money made off of it, you'd put towards the the uh, um, you know towards the towards the the record that you want to create, or you could do maybe like a limited edition equipment or whatever that would go towards whatever you know. There's a lot of possibilities. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm going to pursue that. That is the way to go. Because it's not, it wouldn't work in a traditional record deal sense. The record company wouldn't get it, wouldn't care. What are those, uh, what are those websites called? Kickstarter, GoFundMe, what is the term that they use? Uh, like crowdfunding? There you go. Is that what, it, yeah, I think it's crowdfunding. We used one, uh, we used an uh, indie something, it's called, one that we used for, uh, I'll hit that one. Which is, you know, speaking of Shadow Nation, the documentary, I, I know we're, we're, we're pressed for time and we're running out of time here, but that is one conversation I'd love to have with you. And also, like, did I read or did, you, did I hear you say in an interview that you were part of the Keystone Pipeline pro, uh, protests? That, that's, yeah, I would love to do a conversation on that at some point because when I read that, like, my jaw dropped, and I'm like, this is fascinating. And then with the Shadow Nation documentary and all that that ties in, that's a that's a discussion that uh, I, I would dream of having with you. I would love to. Yeah, yeah that's another couple hours right there. Yeah. 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 Um, but I would love to because I'm more passionate about Let's let's do it. I know you know we 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 gotta we gotta wrap up here, but uh, I would totally be into that because um, I I know some of uh, what you've done in terms of your activism, in terms of what you you know believe in, and I'd love to have that conversation with you. I think it would be very very interesting for me to to talk with you about that. Well, you know, I might be hanging off a cliff at the Himalayas recording my uh, magnum opus while we're doing it, but sure. Well, hey, what's that uh, sound in the background? Oh, that's a Sasquatch. Uh, <laughs> Bowie Rock, the top of Mount Everest. Yeah, or like a wild boar or something like that, you know? Right. Hanging by a pickaxe. With <laughs> a raging snowstorm. 25,000 feet. Yeah, no problem. Well, um, I would, I would love to. I would love to, to uh, discuss all those things. Uh, whenever I get an opportunity to talk about things that matter, it's not very, you know, he won't shut me up. I, I, I have something to say about it. So, uh, in the environmental front, on, uh, on social and economic justice, uh, on the political front, uh, on student politics, philosophy, and
Yeah, let's uh, you know when when stuff kind of dies down with the with the dirty Shirley and maybe in between the lynch mob, I'll you know I'll go through the proper channels and uh, we'll set it up and get it done. All right, George, thank you very much. This has been uh, uh, very exciting. You know, George Lynch, you're part of my childhood. And what I mean by that is my older brother was a guitar player. And he was four years older than me. And day after day, I would hear him play Dokken albums and try to emulate what you were playing. And, you know, to sit here and talk with you is 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 very... Uh, I, you know, I've had to pinch myself a couple times because it's been probably since I was 10 years old that I've been listening to your music. Conversation will be continued. Yes, I look forward to it. Thank you very much for doing this. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Okay, once again, this is Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Hope you enjoy the interview. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.